Hey there, welcome to another episode of Cash Clarity. I'm your host, Abby Nerderman, and I'm happy that you're joining me today because today we're talking about occupational fraud in the workplace and how you as a small business owner can implement some free and easy controls to protect yourself. I chose this topic because the boogeyman is out there and we don't know who the boogeyman is. It could even be someone we work with who we know I can trust. If you're like me, you want to feel protected. You want to know that you've done everything you can to deter bad mojo from coming in your direction. However, we can put a big target on our back that says, please take advantage of me by not having any internal controls or not sticking to those that we put in place. You might be thinking, I was already pretty paranoid after listening to last week's Cash Clarity episode about credit card fraud. I feel like you're kind of piling it on and now I have to worry about something new. (laughs) Or maybe you're just frustrated by wearing all the hats in your business and you'd rather duck under your desk than put this hat on. But don't worry, I'm going to really break this topic down and give you some free and easy things to do, stress block removed. We shouldn't have to worry about occupational fraud. We want to be serving our customers and building our business, but sadly, we do have to worry about it, at least a little bit, enough to get some good countermeasures in place to protect ourselves. As a professional bookkeeper, I am hypersensitive to this subject. If something with my client's money were to go sideways, I am on the front line. I see a few articles every year where a bookkeeper has committed occupational fraud and gives the profession as a whole a bad name. So one, I I do not want to get blamed for someone else's wrongdoing. But more than that, I am down in the details every day. I should notice if something doesn't look quite right and my clients depend on me to point that out. Now, in order to deliver on that, I have built in controls in how I provide service to my clients. So that way, together, we're doing everything we can to stay in front of a potential problem. Now, you've heard me thrown out the term occupational fraud a few times already in this episode. And there are really three types of crimes that fall under this occupational fraud umbrella. The first being asset misappropriation. Now, this is probably where your mind goes first. This means that somebody is either stealing some money, some cash from the business, or they're stealing some inventory or other kind of business asset. The second type of occupational fraud is corruption. Corruption could be a number of things. It could be a conflict of interest. It could be bribery. It could be illegal gratuities or economic extortion. These are things that probably happen more in a government setting, but they still can happen in the business atmosphere and even the small business world. Now, the third type of occupational fraud is financial statement fraud. This is where the Net income or the net worth is either overstated or understated on the financial reports. Now, what's interesting is I've listed these in order of the most frequent happenings to the least frequent happenings, meaning that 
Asset misappropriation is the more common of the three types of occupational fraud, um, followed by corruption and then financial statement fraud not happening quite as frequently. However, the severity of the loss amount is the exact opposite. Typically, when we see a case of financial statement fraud, the losses are huge when compared to asset misappropriation, it could be a a small theft inside of the business. Unsurprisingly, the longer that occupational fraud goes undetected, the bigger the losses tend to be. If you think about asset misappropriation in particular, say you have an employee that takes a few bucks out of the cash drawer. They get away with it the one time. Then later on, they knowing that they've gotten away with it, they're going to try again. And they're going to continue taking, you know, dollars here and dollars there. And that's going to start to add up. And they're going to build confidence the longer that the fraud goes undetected. So they'll continue to do it. They'll do it more often and they'll get bolder, taking larger amounts as they do it. This can all add up over time. So the longer it goes, the bigger the losses tend to be. Unfortunately for small business owners, fighting fraud is a bit of an uphill battle. Losses tend to be bigger than those seen by large companies, and small businesses lack the resources to detect detect and prevent it from happening. We also really rely heavily on the trust with those that we work with. Unfortunately, I feel like I've been saying unfortunately many times. Unfortunately, the people who commit these types of frauds tend to be older and have tenure within the business. They normally are people that we really like, people that we really trust, and we feel really taken advantage of when it happens versus someone who's come in as a new employee and with the intention of trying to take advantage of you. That is a rare case and doesn't usually happen. To make matters even worse, typically only a small percentage of the losses are recovered. If they are recovered at all, oh man, I'm sorry, I'm such a downer today. So these evildoers, I'm not going to go there. Let's not call them evildoers because I think in a lot of cases what happens is people get down on their luck. They see a temptation and they see a solution to their immediate need and they do it without really thinking through the full consequences of their actions. So these people aren't always easy to catch. Um, They will take steps to cover their tracks, like creating falsified documents or altering actual documents. But it's not all doom and gloom. Implementing internal controls to combat fraud can result in lower losses and quicker detection. Financial controls in general tend to increase the perception that fraud will be caught. So people are less likely to even try in the first place. 
Plus, the person committing the fraud will likely exhibit some red flags, which I'm going to go over right now. Someone who is tempted to commit fraud can show one of a handful of different kinds of behaviors. The first one would be living beyond their means. Unfortunately, in our culture, especially in America, everything is about more, 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 more is better. More house, more cars, more things, more money. Everything is more. So people tend to live outside of their means to live to that expectation, that glorified commercialism that we see all the time in advertising. The next red flag is financial difficulty. I know the first one was living beyond our means, but financial difficulty can happen for a lot of different reasons. And uh, I saw this really interesting article the other day about um, median income and how that's increasing. However, it's not outpacing the increases in certain costs like housing, vehicles, um, medical care, and student loans. So I'll go find the, that article and, and link it in the show notes. But, you know, folks out there can run into financial difficulty by, you know, getting swamped with student loans, or maybe they have an accident and have all sorts of unplanned medical expenses. So financial difficulty can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and is never planned for. Then the next red flag is an unusually close relationship with a vendor or customer. And you might be thinking at the surface, this doesn't seem like such a bad thing, right? But if it seems unusually close, there could be a chance for fraud to be happening. For example, if you have an employee that is extremely close to a vendor and maybe that vendor is inflating the price of their invoices or bills to you and then they're kicking back some of that money to your employee, that would be an example of fraud happening that would be hard to detect. So keeping an eye on the relationships that your employees have with vendors or customers could be a sign that there is a potential for fraud to happen. The next red flag is someone who is unwilling to share responsibilities. So if you are working with an employee or a partner and maybe they want to go on vacation and you want to help them out by taking on some of their normal tasks, but they are unwilling to share those responsibilities with you, that could be a sign that maybe they're doing something that they're not supposed to. The next red flag is divorce or some other kind of family problem. Unfortunately, divorce and other things are hard enough as it is, but they can also be a financial burden. Some people might feel backed into a corner and given the opportunity, they're going to take advantage of it. And then the last red flag I have for you is addiction. Addiction in and of itself isn't going to make that person a bad person or make them do bad things. But if that addiction is something they've been struggling with a long time and it's getting worse and worse, then they may get themselves into situations that they wouldn't normally 
And maybe sometimes if they do commit a crime such as fraud, it may just be a cry for help. All right, so now that I've been the Debbie Downer of the day and brought you to an all-time low, I'm going to bring you back up because now we're going to talk about some of the free and easy things that you can do to help prevent the occurrence of occupational fraud in your business. Now, there are five of them, so let's go through them. The first one is having regular management reviews. So for me, I look at my financials pretty regularly, usually weekly, but I'm a bookkeeper and that's just what I like to do. But for my clients, I have scheduled monthly meetings with them to go over all their financials. This is a good practice to be in regardless of whether or not you're working with a professional bookkeeper. To put into place a set time on your calendar each month to go over your financials. Not only is this going to help you detect any fraud that could happen, but it's going to give you uh, better insights into your business. It's going to give you a higher financial intelligence, give you clarity on what you're spending, on what you're making, and help you grow your business in, in a number of different ways. The next free and easy thing you can do is account reconciliation. To me, this is a non-negotiable step in the bookkeeping process. However, this tends to be the step that's most often skipped by people doing their bookkeeping on their own. And if you have a business where somebody's helping you with the bookkeeping, make sure the accounts are being reconciled. And what this means is that you're taking the statements from the bank and comparing those to what you've recorded in your bookkeeping, either in a software or a spreadsheet or in paper ledgers. However you're doing your accounting, it's taking those statements, comparing them to what you've recorded, making sure everything is in the way you expect, making sure you haven't missed anything, making sure you haven't duplicated anything, making sure there aren't any typos anywhere. And then account reconciliation is going to help shine a light on anything that doesn't look quite right. The third thing you can do to help prevent occupational fraud is to create a clear separation of duties. And what I mean by this is if you're working on a team and someone's doing the bookkeeping, have one person do just the bookkeeping, do just the document management, the data entry, and the account reconciliations. And then for everything else, like your invoicing or your accounts payable or you know managing the bills that you have to pay out to vendors, making sure that's somebody else. So the person that's doing the accounting work doesn't have any control of money coming in or out of the business. Keeping a clear separation of duties will keep the temptation away from both parties. The fourth free and easy thing you can do is to create a code of conduct for your business to say, hey, this is the type of business we are. Here are the values that we represent and we expect you to uphold these values. And here are the policies and procedures we have in place to make sure that we and everybody in our company fulfills those values. And this is what's going to happen if you violate those terms. So having a code of conduct in place, you know, really kind of sets the expectation for anybody that's working with you to understand that there will be consequences to actions if they 
don't comply with how you see your business running. The fifth and last free and easy thing you can do is to hold regular team meetings and hold regular one-to-one meetings with direct reports. This is going to be the easiest and best way to recognize any red flags of those behaviors that we went over earlier, which included living beyond their means, financial difficulty, unusually close relationships with vendors or customers, unwilling to share responsibilities, divorce, family problems, or addiction. So having those regular meetings, having that pulse on the you know, life inside and outside of the business, how things are going. And it also is a really great way to show your your teammates and your direct reports that you really care about them personally and show that you're willing to support those folks that may have fallen on hard times and maybe they won't be so tempted to, to take advantage of the business. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Start with one or two of these five free and easy things to do and make an action plan. If you don't implement any sort of controls, you could be putting your business at risk, losing lots of money, capital, or even having to shut doors. Instead, if you do take some steps to protect yourself and catch fraud quickly, you'll probably, you're probably going to deter it from happening at all. And if it does happen, you'll catch it quickly and keep losses to a minimum. Now that we're at the end of the episode, you should know what the three types of occupational fraud are, asset misappropriation, corruption, and financial statement fraud. You should be able to recognize the red flags of someone tempted to try it under your watchful eye, and five free and easy things you can do to implement implement internal controls in your business. And just to recap those five real quick, they were regular management reviews, account reconciliation, clear separation of duties, code of conduct, and regular team and one-to-one meetings with direct reports. I hope you come back for the next episode because we're going to go over the seven things to look for when hiring the right bookkeeper for your business. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show where you listen to podcasts. And if you like to be featured in a listener shout out in a future Cash Clarity episode, please leave a review on iTunes. Until next time.